The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture text for this morning's message is found in Matthew 28, and I'll be reading verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Lord, we, we come here again in this series where we're, we're looking at your calling on us as the church and we again ask you to form and orient our hearts around Jesus in such a way that the, the Spirit would come and help us see Him and love Him and obey Him, that you would empower what you command that we'd be a people that loves you with all our hearts and loves our neighbors as ourselves. And today, Lord, a people that would make disciples. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'll keep repeating this sentence as we go through this series, that my prayer is that we'd be a people that are saved by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage in the Great Commission by embodying the greatest commands. To be a people in Christ, empowered by the Spirit to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is where we've been the last two weeks or so. But what happens this week is that we realize that our loving God with all our hearts and loving our neighbors as ourselves doesn't stop just with us. In other words, this this process, this love, this thing that the Holy Spirit does in us is expansive. So our desire here at this church and for you, informed by the Word of God, is that your love for God and your love for your neighbor as yourself would increase in such a way that your desire is to see other people come into this life-changing, life-saving love of God. That it would just explode out of your heart because you love him so much and you love them so much that you want them to come on into this love with you. We want you to grow as disciples, loving God and loving neighbor, so much that you go as disciple makers. We don't just want to make disciples here. We want to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Right? That's how this thing has worked for about 2,000 years. And just to start off by saying, I'm convinced we won't be going as disciples if we aren't growing as disciples. In other words, uh, one of the reasons that maybe we don't want to talk about or, or think about too much, one of the reasons that we, we don't want to talk to people or we don't want to engage with people or feels 
too much or too far is that we're just not that engaged with Jesus ourselves. We're just not engaged in growing as disciples ourselves. So what is a disciple so that we can know, are we growing? Are we moving forward with Jesus? So just two verses from the Gospels that give us kind of a, a picture of what a disciple is. Matthew 10, 24 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. To be like his teacher. Or Luke 6.40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In other words, the goal, the point of being a disciple is to be so trained and so equipped and so by osmosis, by what you hear, by what's caught and by what's taught, that you actually become like your master. The word disciple is used, I think, by my count, uh, don't quote me on this exactly, about 210 times in the Gospels and about 25 times in the book of Acts. And so we could say, why is it used so much? Why, Why does it show up so much? And it's because they were with Jesus, right? The Gospels are about Jesus, this picture of who he is, and wherever Jesus was, The disciples were not too far away watching him, watching him live and love, seeing his power, hearing his word. And so they show up all the time, the disciples, because they're with him. They're they're spending time with him. So how do we grow as disciples? Well, we try to get fully trained (laughs) to be like him, spending lots of time with him, spending time with him in in the word, spending time with him in prayer, spending time with other disciples that want to be like Jesus. And as we watch him, we look at him, we hear him, we're changed by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to the next into the same image. We watch him live and love, hear his word, and begin to live like him and love like him and think like him and talk like him. One of my favorite verses uh, is Acts 4.13. Because you might, you might hear this, this calling, go and make disciples, and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm not growing as a disciple. This calling's too big for me. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have all the right answers to all the right things. You go, how could I ever do this? But this is what Acts 4.13 says. This is the religious lu- rulers, the really well-trained, well-educated religious of the time. Here's what they say. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's amazing. (laughs) So So there's no excuses, right? Every member, every disciple, right, every person is, is called to be bold, to go forth in such a way that people would be like, they've been with Jesus, right? Not they've been to seminary, not they have this high education, not they have all the answers, but as they hear your boldness and see your boldness and they're around you and you, you smell like Jesus and you talk like Jesus and you look like Jesus, they go, man, they're such 
average people. But they've been with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine these disciples with all they saw of Jesus, all they had seen, and then they've received the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine them just going, I'd rather Netflix. I'd rather this, or I'd rather that, or I'd rather whatever. No, they were like, as much time with Jesus as we can get, and as much fellowship together as church families we can get so that we can be bold. So my prayer that we would grow in discipleship is that we'd be a people spending so much time with Jesus that when people are around us, they think, man, he is, I know him, I know her, so average, not that educated, but something's different. They've been with Jesus. So let's dive in and see what people that have been with Jesus, disciples of Jesus, growing as disciples, see what Jesus calls us to point Number one, our great commission, make disciples of Jesus. So read with me these verses. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now what's important is to see what the the main command is here. And the main command, oftentimes we hear the main command here as go. That's not the main command here. The main command in this passage is make disciples. Make disciples. The main calling is to make disciples. That's the the main verb. And then the other three are these things called participles, which simply means that they're supporting the main verb by explaining how to do it. In other words, We could read it like this. Make disciples of all nations. How? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Or with all we've already seen, we could summarize it like this. As a disciple who is growing in your all-in love for Jesus by the Spirit as you follow Him, go and help other people be set free to love Jesus and follow Him. That's what we could say. Just make disciples. How are you going to do it? You're going to do it by going. You're going to do it by baptizing. And you're going to do it by teaching. So notice it says, make disciples of all nations. Why does he say that to these guys? Well, there's a bunch of reasons. But one of the main ones is that Jesus wanted to be clear to these disciples that would make disciples that they weren't just supposed to stay in Jerusalem and try to build a little kingdom of Israel. Right? The kingdom wasn't going to be so small that Rome would be overthrown and Israel could get back to its glory. That wasn't the point of the kingdom. That was, it was too small. It's too light a thing for Jesus to come just for the Jews, but to come to be a light for all nations. Right? All the nations of the world would be reached. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so here we are in Lakeville, Minnesota. Right? I don't know who stopped here in the first place with the winters, but here we are. Right? There's communities here. There's people here. And like Jesus said, the gospel's gotten here. Right? This is happening. We are part of the nations. In other words, Jesus is telling them the saving work of Jesus is never limited to a certain people or place, but is a global work to gather followers from every tribe, tongue, people, language, and nation, including ours. And at the end of this month, we're going to have two weeks on why we go global. Why do we go to the nations? 
But that's a call for us here too. And that's a massive call on disciples of Jesus. Make disciples of all nations. Disciples who are growing in love for him and love for neighbor. Help other people see him and know him and love him. Be a disciple that makes disciples. Go, baptize, teach. So let's look at each one of those. So if our call is, here I am, I love Jesus, I want to grow in my love for Jesus, I want to be with Him, I want to become like Him, I want to see Him, I want to love Him with all my heart, love my neighbor, and now I need to go and replicate myself. How do I do that? Well, I go, I baptize, and I teach. So let's look at them one at a time. First, going. And going is, <laughs> is really pretty simple, right? Someone told you about Jesus at some point. Someone told you about Jesus. Maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a teacher, maybe a coworker, maybe a family member, right? Someone told you, right? Maybe you were one of those people by God's grace were saved from death and the throes of sin at age six. And maybe you're one of those people who are saved from death and the throes of sin at age 60. But either way, you heard the gospel. Right? Someone told you. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes and you saw Jesus as beautiful and not boring. Right? Compelling instead of crazy and as Savior instead of just a good storyteller. You saw him, right? You saw Jesus. And you said, yes, that's what I want. That's what I need. And you saw him because someone told you and the Spirit went to work and you were saved to truly live. So to fulfill this commission by the power of the Spirit, we have to go. You could say, go where? So I just thought, well, I'll give them a list of possibilities. Right? Go to your living room and talk to your kids. Go there. Be, be going. Right? It's a participle. I need to make disciples. How? I need to be going somewhere. Go on a walk in your neighborhood for at least three more days here and pray for the houses you walk by. Right? Go across the street to build a relationship with and share the gospel with your neighbor. Right? Go across the office to your Coworker, Go to the soccer game or the co-op with your eyes open for other parents. Go, some of you, with a burden for particular people and learn languages you never dreamed of and cross the ocean to go to places you've never imagined. But be going. Kids, I know that you play outside and you play sports and you do 700 activities if you live in the South suburbs, maybe you do a lemonade stand or you go to school. And one of the things I want for you kids is to believe that wherever you are, if you trust in Jesus, the main reason you're in those places is not for you, but for Jesus and the other people there. That, that that's why you're at your school. That's why you're at your co-op. That's why you're on that flag football team or that soccer team or why you're learning that instrument or, or why you're at that dance class. You're there to make much of Jesus for the good of others and the glory of God. Kids, you are more bold than your parents. It has not been shaken out of you yet by Minnesota nice kind of behavior. So kids, you can ask your parents this afternoon Let's go on a walk and pray for the houses in this neighborhood. 
Right? You can do that, kids. You don't have to wait to be like old enough or adult enough to begin praying and asking God to use you that others would know Jesus. You can do this, kids. This is why God made you. So just two more things about this going. Number one, I just want to make sure you see yourself in this commission. Right? You have to go. <laughs> you have to go. Uh, the whole church needs to go. It's a whole church activity. This is not my job for all of us. This is my job, <laughs> but not my job for all of us. This is not the, the staff's job or the, the elder's job. Right? This is your job. This is our job. This is y'all's job, right? Whatever plural you want. Like, this is something we all got to grab onto and we have to go. If you think we should do more outreach at this church, I'm with you, and I think you should start with a prayer walk this afternoon in your neighborhood. I really mean that. Can, can we reach more people by having the most awesome outreach event where 50, 60, 70, let's say 400 people come? That'd be great. We should do that sometimes, right? There's a place for that. How many people are in your neighborhood? How many neighborhoods are represented? What might God do if you just started prayer walking your neighborhood? Right? It, it's not hard. I, just, I go on runs with my boys and I say, hey, let's, let's pray for the houses. And just the other week, Stone said to me, are you praying for the houses, Dad? Right? That, that, we just want to pray and seek God and ask Him, kids can do this. You can do this together. You have to go. Right? No one... I don't, and I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek. I just want you to understand, like, we really have to go. No one gets saved as you watch Netflix, right? No one gets saved as you get lost in scrolling for an hour too long on Instagram or obsess over the latest political issues. And I'm not saying you should never do those things. They're all okay. They all have their place. Maybe not scrolling on Instagram for an hour. I don't know if that's okay. But the other things, they're okay. But, but what if you use that hour to pray for your lost neighbors or your lost coworkers, or your lost extended family and friends? Like, how many hours might prayers be going to the throne of God above who's the one that's going to save anyways, right? And we have to feel the reality that a lot of people can care about a lot of things in the world, but the glory of God and the salvation of eternal souls is a calling Jesus has given to the church uniquely in our neighborhoods, which are part of the call of the nations of God, right? I mean, the church has to do this, right? Your unsaved neighbor, he's going to care about all those things. He's going to be on Instagram. He's going to be on Netflix. He's going to do all those things. He can't tell people about Jesus, but you can because Jesus has saved you, because someone told you about Jesus. And so if you think, well, I'm not good at it, I don't know what I'm doing, I just would love you to look back and go, man, the person that told you about Jesus was probably not all that impressive. They probably just loved Jesus, right? They're probably like your mom or dad for some of you, or a teacher, or a coach, or someone. They just weren't that impressive in the presentation, or that compelling in their apologetics. They just wanted you to love Jesus. And so they faithfully told you, about Jesus. So number one, we have, we have to go. We all have to go. And number two, the ultimate hope of this going really is speaking of the hope that you have in Jesus. Right? So there's, there's no cookie-cutter way to do this. The people around you are not projects. Right? The love is not transactional. 
But my, my prayer is that you're, you're spending so much time with Jesus. You love Him so much. It's real. It's genuine. Yeah, it's up and down. There's trials. It's broken. It's messy. It's a relationship. But you love Him. You're with Him. You're for Him. Right? You want other people to love Him. That your heart is being so formed as a disciple of Jesus that the Spirit is forming your life and helping you walk in true freedom. That as you look at your neighbors and you get in conversation and you help them mow their lawn or rake their leaves or talk to that barista or go to that coworker that Jesus is kind of oozing out of you. (laughs) He's just kind of there and that you're looking for opportunities to say, man, that is hard. That life situation is horrible. That's broken. And man, I don't know what I'd do if I I didn't have Jesus. And I'm just telling you, man, you ask people questions, they will open up. And if you just say, well, the only way I know to deal with that is hope in Jesus, I've never had someone stand up and scream at me, you stupid idiot, bigot, Christian. (laughs) They need hope. (laughs) They need hope and they don't have it. So we have to go and we have to speak of Jesus. Point number two, or point number two of point number one, it's not going to be that long, I promise, is baptizing, right? So you've gone and you've prayed and you've crossed the street or the ocean, or the office. You've loved, you've listened, you've shared the hope that's in you, and they believe. That happens. People believe. You're sitting here. People believe the gospel. Christianity has lasted for 2,000 years because people believe the gospel. So it happens. You tell them, and wonder of wonders, by your stammering, stumbling explanation, they believe in Jesus. They trust Him. They begin to love Him and love their neighbors. Now what? Well, Jesus says, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's think about this by asking two questions. When does baptism happen and what is baptism saying? When does it happen and what is it saying? So first, when does baptism happen? Listen to Acts chapter 2 verses 38 and then verse 41. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So baptism happens when people receive the word of the gospel instead of reject it. That's when it happens. That's when we baptize people. They receive it. They see Jesus for who he was, the God-man come to save sinners, and they repent. They turn from their sin. They turn towards Jesus, and they're forgiven. That's what baptism is. That's when it happens. It's this picture of being buried with Christ to our sins and raised with him to new life. It's this picture of this inward reality that's already happened in our union with Christ. And so baptism is for those who receive, repent, and are redeemed by the gospel word. So when it happens, what is it saying? What's it saying? Well, listen to how Jesus and Paul talk about this. It says, Baptize in the name of Jesus here in Acts chapter 2. And in Matthew 20, it says, Baptize in the name of the Father and Son in the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we should say, well, that's one baptism, this is another baptism. I think we should say, that's the same name being represented. It's God. Or baptizing in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Baptizing in the name of Jesus. It's identifying the person 
Being baptized is moving from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. It's identifying those who claim Jesus as Savior and King, identifying them as part of the family. It's saying out loud publicly, here are those adopted by Jesus. Here are those that belong to Jesus. Here are those that are part of the blood-bought family of God. Folks, world, everyone, here's the church. Here's the kingdom of God in this world represented. Let me explain it this way, kids. Kids, you've probably seen someone, like, a, like some sports team you watch on TV, or a police officer that you see, or a nurse maybe, that wears a uniform. Right? So, so why do they wear a uniform? Well, it's to show that they belong to a certain group. Right? That uniform doesn't make them a part of the team, but it's an important way to see them understand who they are, understand what they represent and what they're called to do and be. And that's what baptism does. It says we are a part of Team Jesus and His church. That's what it's doing. So we make disciples by going, which culminates in us sharing the gospel. And we make disciples by baptizing, which is shorthand for saying we identify those who receive, repent, and are redeemed by the gospel, and we bring them into active fellowship with the family of God. In other words, as we share the gospel, if your neighbor comes to know Jesus, you don't go, work is done. Right? You go, we got to get you to a healthy church. We got to get you in a fellowship of believers. It doesn't have to be my church, but let's find, you, let's find you a healthy church to be gathered in and fellowship with. In other words, making disciples is not just sharing the gospel individually, but gathering those individuals into church families. The work doesn't end at sharing, but also in helping make sure there are no Lone Ranger Christians, but only those actively part of the church family that can affirm and encourage their faith and exhort them all the more until Jesus, Jesus comes back. So we go, preach the gospel, we baptize, we bring them into the family and into the fellowship, and then we teach. So you've gone, shared the gospel, they've received it, repented, been redeemed, and now we teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. So ongoing teaching about who Jesus is, about what he's done, but what he calls us to as those who are redeemed by his blood and filled by his spirit. Ongoing teaching from the word of God, right? And notice like we've already seen with disciples, it's not just teaching for more knowledge, but it's teaching that calls us to observe, that is obey, follow, live all that Jesus commands. That's what disciples do. They spend time watching and listening so they can become like Jesus. That the teaching here would not just give you new knowledge, like you know some more stuff, but that it would make you grow in your love for God and for this blood-bought family and for your neighbor and equip you to grow as a disciple and to make disciples. We see this in Acts. So we just read Acts 2.41 that after they received the gospel, they were baptized and brought into the family Listen to Acts 2.42 and then verses 46 to 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers and day by day gathering the temple and attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see it? (laughs) You're a Christian. We baptize you. You're in the family. You want to come hang out (laughs) and learn more about Jesus? Want to come with me and learn more about Jesus? Want to fellowship with these other people who who want to know more about Jesus? Do you want to be a a part of this this thing, this encouragement? And notice when that happens, right, we often put inreach versus outreach against each other. But what we see everywhere in the Bible is that this kind of inreach, this kind of fellowship, this kind of encouragement, this kind of one another, this kind of going hard after God and teaching and learning and obeying always leads to evangelism. It always leads to gospel outreach because those kinds of people can't keep their mouths shut about Jesus. They can't keep their lives quiet about Jesus. He's their obsession, right? Their glorious obsession. We want him and we want him for you. Do you see how it works? This is a beautiful thing. This is how it's been working for 2,000 years. This is nothing new, right? This is not earth-shattering or mind-blowing. This is basics, right? This, the youth did this this weekend, right? We can all get this. We can all do this. Right? The commands of Christ lead into the life of Christ. The commands of Christ form the family of Christ. The commands of Christ shape our hearts to be like Christ. And just imagine as we obey and we know Him and we're together, imagine the compelling picture to the world of a family of deep forgiveness, a family of lasting joy, a family of strange generosity, an unshakable hope that multiplies itself over and over and over again as more go to preach and gather and teach. This goal, this end of a compelling community that keeps making much of Jesus because they love him with all their hearts. And they love their neighbors as themselves is the end goal of every trip across the street and every trip across the ocean. That's the end goal. That there be a people that keeps multiplying itself, keeps loving God, keeps loving neighbor, keeps feeling compelled to go, keeps encouraging one another, keeps being generous, keeps extending forgiveness and being forgiven, keeps pressing one another towards eternal joy in such a way that the world will look and go, that is strange. That is strange. It doesn't make any sense. Those people are common. Some of them uneducated. Some of them, I I know they don't know what they're talking about about a lot of things. I know them. But man, they've been with Jesus. There's something different. They've been with Jesus. The whole church together and as individuals is called to make disciples of all nations by going, baptizing, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there'd be new, thriving, full of life, compelling communities to make much of Jesus as they love him with all their hearts and love their neighbors as themselves. That's the commission. That's the calling. That's the command on all of us. Second, much shorter point, our great confidence, the power and presence of Jesus. So this is a, it's a big calling. Right? I mean, we we will have to change how we think about life in the world. We'll have to. We're just going to have to make adjustments. And Nathan said it so well in the beginning, like we want to. It's not just that we have to, we want to because we want to follow Jesus into true life. We want others to come into true life. It's a big calling. 
It probably felt even more crazy to the few disciples standing there listening to Jesus the first time, right? Go to the ends of the earth. There are 11 of us, right? You haven't even filled the last open apostle slot yet, Jesus. And so imagine how big it felt, but common, uneducated men, right, to the ends of the earth, and it's, it's worked. It's worked because of the authority of Jesus and the power of his presence. So listen to the end of verse 18 and the end of verse 20. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, those two phrases are our confidence as we go. Right? Our confidence is not in knowing all of the right apologetic answers. Does anyone else have that fear? Like, what if they ask me this? What if they ask me this? Right, whatever this is, that's never been someone's first question to me unless they already know me pretty well and there's an antagonistic thing going on there. Right? Which is okay. That's fine. Then you just say, I don't know. I'll go talk to someone about that thing. But our confidence is not, we've got all the answers. Right? We know where the dinosaurs came from. Right? I told you to talk to Bruce and Rick about the dinosaurs. Right? So I don't even have confidence about all the dinosaur questions. But we don't need to know because our confidence is not in, we've got all the right answers. Our confidence is not in perfect techniques. Right? Our confidence is not in that we have to just be completely unafraid or that we have some superpower of evangelism. Our confidence can't be in being liked. Our confidence can't be in a political or cultural climate that makes sharing Jesus easier. Our confidence is in the power and presence of Jesus. In fact, if you look through church history, the times when the culture and the politics were most against Christianity is the time where Christianity flourished in its evangelism and its life and its vibrancy most. Probably because people had to go, I'm either in or I'm out. This is either real or it's not. If it's real, I'm going to put all my life into it. In a way that we probably just have a hard time even understanding, right, in the comforts of our lives here. But it's in the power and presence of Jesus, right? The Savior we love with all our heart that calls us to love our neighbors and make disciples has all the power, all the authority, and he promises us his presence. So kids, if you knew someone who had all the power in the world, and you knew, they said to you, I have all the power. No one can do anything. No one can do anything apart from my authority. And they said to you, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. You would feel pretty confident to do what they said, right? You'd feel confident, right? You, you kids probably remember the first time you learned how to ride a bike. It's scary. I'm going to fall. It's going to hurt. It's going to be embarrassing. But you had someone there that said, I'll be with you. I'm going to run next to you. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to catch you when you fall. I'll be there. I promise. And that's what Jesus says to us. I have all the power. If you trust me, I'm going to be with you. So church, do you believe that Jesus has all the power? Not not just here. Do you believe it? Like, he has all the power. He's got all of it. He's got all the authority. Right? No one can thwart him. No one can do anything to him. Do you believe he'll keep his promise to be with you? Do you believe he has all the power that he'll keep his promise to be with you? Rather than looking at the bigness of the task or the bigness of your fear, look at the bigness of your Savior. 
And let his presence bring rest and hope and confidence to your heart. Let me pray for us. God, we're going to come and we're going to eat and drink with you here in just a moment. And God, there are all sorts of ways this week where we have not moved towards you and growing as disciples, but we've stepped away from you and we've gone after other things. God, forgive us. What a sweet thing it is to be a Christian. Just confess our sins. Know you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we repent. Forgive us for the ways that we've moved away from you as disciples, not towards you this week. And God, for, forgive us for the, for the ways that we have put other things in front of you with our time or our talent or our, our money or our responsibilities or the stewardship of all that we are. Lord, just forgive us. Lord, we, we want to be all in for you, not because we're guilted into it, because you're worthy. You're worthy of our hope and our affection and our joy and our time and our energy. You're worthy, and we praise you for it. So, Lord, if we repent of those things, Lord, we feel the, the bigness of the task that we have to go. <laughs> we have to bring people into the church, and we have to keep teaching, and we have to keep learning, and we have to keep growing and we Lord we want to we want to do this by your spirit Lord I, I just I would love six months from now to just have stories of people in this room or watching online that just started by prayer walking in their neighborhood or praying over their co-workers or limiting <laughs> limiting media time and saying instead I'm going to put that time into, in prayer for my extended family And God, watch you open doors for the gospel. Watch you use all of us, ordinary, common people, to do extraordinary, uncommon works of salvation for the good of our neighbors and the glory of your name. So God, give us boldness and confidence. Lord, not in ourselves, not in our knowledge, not in our techniques, but boldness and confidence because you have all the power and you promise us your presence. When you have all the power and you promise us your presence. So be with us, Lord, as we come now and we eat and drink with you, Lord, I pray that we would lay down all other things we're looking to for our joy and hope we lean in further as disciples and even as we're coming this morning, we'd be thinking and praying about who you might be calling us to go to whether that's our living room or our neighborhood or our coworkers, our extended family, or Lord, maybe it is all the way across the ocean. God, grant us grace to trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.